the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome into another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. Your host, Brandon Kravitz, here, joined by the Dean of Dollars, the one and only Mike Gennetti. Mike, how's the uh, temperature where you reside? And I, I mean that both mm. literally and figuratively. It's going to be a beautiful 60 degrees today in Buffalo, and the uh, the city is burning internally because of the bills. So <laughs> um, let's get some snow in the forecast and uh, another win on the table this Sunday to get things back the right way because it's been the national presence is uh, is pretty nasty right now in terms of Josh Allen, this offense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, I can only imagine what the mm-hmm. sports talk radio chatter has been like. Um I'm sure some even <laughs> trying to push him. Yeah, I mean, he's like the he, he's like the firstborn son of Buffalo, and yet I I would think that there's even some some folks over there that are are doubting if he's still got it. People crying for Brian Dayball to come back. Yeah, all that, right? I mean, yeah. is this just what we're going to have to deal with, right? Is this kind of Brett Favre gunslinger throw it into triple coverage? And I, th- I think we are. I think that's just who Josh Allen's going to be, unless some wizard offensive coordinator can come in and. I got I guess calm that down a little bit but that's much much easier said than done so it's probably going to be the life we live for the next at least 3 years guaranteed. Well that'll be a perfect transition to our big topic for today and yeah. that is the quarterback position. We're going to run the full spectrum here Mike. We're going to go uh for in terms of pay, likability, unlikability. Well, I mean we're going to run the whole gamut here and we're going to start with a high-paid individual that is not exactly a fan favorite around NFL circles. That is, of course, Deshaun Watson, now out for the year due to a procedure that he's receiving on his shoulder. How sideways is this fully guaranteed contract going already for the Cleveland Browns? All right, I'm going to go on my soapbox quickly here. Um, Soap away, Mike. I, I found myself feeling bad when this news broke yesterday, and it wasn't because... I'm a Browns fan. Obviously not. It wasn't becoming I'm, I'm a Deshaun Watson fan. I'm not. I, I want this contract to work. <laughs> I, I want this to become a thing. I want Kirk Cousins next deal to be three years fully guaranteed. I want, you know, Tua maybe to lock in a fully guaranteed short term contract. I, I, I like this approach with the quarterback position because it's so damn powerful. And I don't want this to be the only ringing endorsement we have for it. Because obviously, especially from the get-go, it was just an absolute disaster. And now everybody's going to use this injury as another way to pile on to that. And I don't think that's fair because this was absolutely about to turn a corner. They did an amazing thing against an amazing team on Sunday. And Deshaun Watson was the reason why. And by the way, I thought he had an ankle injury. So the fact that we woke up to a, a a broken shoulder bone completely threw me sideways. So... I was rooting for this contract to work out, even though everything else about this is an absolute hot mess. So that's probably my biggest takeaway is that there's three years and 138 million fully guaranteed left on this thing. And he's carrying $64 million cap hits each of the next three seasons, which of course have to be moved around a lot. And every other team now can can point to this contract and say, see, this is why we don't do it. This is why you can't do it. A, because... There's off-field drama with a lot of these players, and that's just fair. And B, 
because everybody gets injured, even the quarterback, even after the game has changed every rule possible to make this, this position safer. We still have, what, seven notable starting quarterbacks sitting on the sidelines right now. So yeah, it's just the nature of the animal. And, and this is why you don't see five-year contracts become fully guaranteed. And we're probably never going to see that. An interesting spin on this to uh, not feel bad for Watson, not feel bad for the Browns or even Browns fans, but the quarterback position, the future of the position and guaranteed money that could be coming the way of uh, of quarterbacks in the near future. It really would have taken Patrick Mahomes signing a deal like Deshaun Watson did in order to change the dynamic. I don't Mm -hmm. see anybody off the top of my head coming down the line where you go, that's fully guaranteed and fully guaranteed from a smart organization. I think part of the problem in terms of what you're saying is that the Browns were the team <laughs> that handed out this money. And I think you would agree with that. Two is not going to get fully guaranteed. I think he'd have to hoist a Super Bowl trophy and win the Super Bowl MVP. And even yeah. then they'd still use concussions against him. No, and Trevor Lawrence isn't playing well enough right now to have that discussion next offseason either. So the, the best chance too far away. He's, too far he looks away. pretty darn good, but he's too the, far away. I think the best chance we had, speaking of teams that would never do this on the surface, L- Lamar had a chance, right? Lamar had yeah. everything going his way, and then he got injured right before that franchise tag came. And he had to sit out, and all that drama set in as, as if he was holding out instead of sitting out and injured. Um, and that was the only real ding on his resume leading up to that holdout slash extension. Otherwise, I mean, that's a rock solid contract. That's probably as close as we can get to waiting to the very last second, doing everything you know possible as a player to stick to your guns and then getting the closest thing you can get to a fully guaranteed contract. So that's, I guess that's the new bar in terms of short impact, mostly guaranteed. But you're right. We don't have a candidate right now to to clean up this Watson mess in terms of what sits out there as, as this unicorn deal. Well, Joe Burrow, I guess, could have been. Like, all the guys that I would nominate here have already done the extension game. Justin mm-hmm. Herbert, but definitely, Bur- I mean, Burrow probably should have been the guy that pushed for this because what would Cincinnati be without Joe Burrow? So it's fair. Yeah, He's the name that um, him, him and Mahomes, those are the two best and most trustworthy in terms of their availability and they're they have no off the field issues. Those are the most trusted young quarterbacks that are at the top of their game in the NFL. Do you think because you deal with players quite a bit in, in your you know your career? Do you think that going this route, even if you're Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, right, clean as a whistle in terms of PR and what you're able to put out there and, and what your value is to the city? Do you think it's just not worth it? A from the from the pressure standpoint. B because now. One little ding on your resume, everybody's going to turn on you because you are this singular entity with this this thing, right? This this essentially selfish contract that everybody can point to, which is what's happening with Deshaun Watson every time he throws an interception, every time he does anything. And I realize that's he's got a lot of baggage outside of just football, but um, that's that's part of it, right? Is it's that's completely an, accurate? An enormous yeah. amount of pressure that even your own fan base can turn on in a, in a moment's notice. And let's not forget, these guys are NFL fans, too. They just happen to be a whole lot better at football than the rest of us. And who did they grow up watching and idolizing? Yeah. Tom Brady. Yeah, and what was part right. of Tom Brady's legacy? Team friendly deals. Even if you, you know, being the capologist that you are, can poke holes in that. The the. <laughs> The bulletin that guys like Mahomes and Burrow saw growing up, making their way towards the NFL, was this guy always 
saved enough so that everybody else could be taken care of and they could have a good team. And these guys are uber competitive. So not only do they have the shining light of an, of an example, they also want to win. And I think you, and this is where do you come back in? You know that that's part of the negotiation process yeah. where general managers are sitting there and they're telling the agents and they're telling the players, we could give you this, but you're not going to have a great team around you. And don't you want to win at the end of the day? Yeah, I, I get it. I understand. Except for, I think this Browns team was good enough to win the Super Bowl this year. I really think they had built something and drafted something pretty damn close to what Cincinnati could be this year and Baltimore could be. The, I, I just think, yeah, this past Sunday was the start of something. I know no Nick Chubb. I know no tackles. I realize what they're dealing with, but everybody's dealing with something right now, right? This Baltimore yeah, for team sure. for Thursday night is a mess. No, no Marlon Humphrey, no Ronnie Stanley. It's a mess. Both so. teams are. I mean, yeah. they, you have the Bengals who are a legit Super Bowl contender. The Bengals, the last place Bengals, by yeah. the way, which is hard to wrap your head around. But yeah, yeah everybody's a mash unit at this point. Yeah, so it's I'm not sure that you can look at Deshaun Watson's contract and say the 2023 Browns are compromised because he has a fully guaranteed deal. Look, in three years, this cap stuff's going to be a disaster for Cleveland, but that's three years, right? Might be yeah. a new coach, might be a bunch of new wide receivers, might be a new GM at that point in time. So it's a, it's a mile away from where we have to think about. And I, I, I don't know that there's any contract out there right now, including that ridiculous Mahomes one, that is stopping any team from being good enough to win a Super Bowl in an 18-week season. So let's look at a couple of other angles within this Watson injury. When you look back on this deal, is the money the worst part of it for the Cleveland side? Or is it the draft capital they had to give up in order to get Watson and give him that guaranteed money? Yeah, I'll softball this and say it's both, right? Generally, when you give up the world from a, from a capital standpoint in a trade, you're doing so because there's contract term being handed to you, right? So in other words, I'm overpaying from a draft capital standpoint to bring in a contract that's not just a rental piece. That's not what happened here. And by the way, he was under contract, right? He had a nice contract from Houston, his his rookie extension that they could have ran for a year and a half or two. But Watson and his camp just worked this thing to the absolute bone. It wasn't just about I'm changing teams. People forget this guy sat out healthy an entire year in Houston because he just didn't want to play for this organization anymore because the Bill O'Brien stuff and all that was an absolute train wreck. So, I mean, this is as ugly a situation as possible and it still costs five gigantic top 100 draft picks and then it still costs two, four, 230 million fully guaranteed. So the worst part was that all of it had to happen just to bring this guy in the door. Um, you know, it's not unlike the Russell Wilson conversation, which is you had this guy under term for two and a half seasons. Why did you have to extend him? You didn't. Um, so Cleveland went way above and beyond, I think more so than even Atlanta and those teams that were even quarterback needier at the time had to go to. So it was just an absolute grand slam move by Cleveland in a scenario where everyone else is tr probably trying to hit a home run. And uh, for the record, I saw this tweet put out there in terms of the Texans side. That was the team that was able to reap the reward of all of that draft capital. Uh, some of the names that they got out of the trade, Kenyon Green, Will Anderson Jr., um, the, who they have as their star uh, edge rusher, Damian mm -hmm. Pierce, who had a really good rookie season, and Tank Dell, who's been a star as a, as a rookie so far. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. 
Are you saying the Bills should trade Josh Allen? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, kidding. you know, <laughs> I'm just you want to rebuild on the fly. <laughs> this will be the year to go back into the draft. Um, so, look, it's not like you said that you think the Cleveland Browns are good enough to win the Super Bowl. Well, there you have a, we have another example in the NFL of a team that is well built around everything and then just put a quarterback in place that is doing his job well enough to where we still think they are Super Bowl contenders. Of course, I'm talking about the San Francisco 49ers. What if, and it is possible because we haven't seen him in, with real game action, a game plan installed in all of that. I thought he was pretty good at UCLA. Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, what if he comes in and Brock Purdy's this thing? Then what do you do? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, you're you're um, stuck Jimmy, with Watson no matter how this goes. Yeah. You know, one of the answers could be Jimmy Garoppolo, this thing and trade him next year. Uh, if that's out there and certainly the, you know, that's something they did this year with Josh Dobbs in Cleveland. So there, there's always teams looking to do that later in the summer when other teams maybe need something. But uh, I've had this conversation quite a bit and I saw it really come to fruition after this Watson injury. If you've got a good second quarterback, please keep him. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> because every team right now needs 3, not even 2, they need 3 and um you know, if you are Patrick Mahomes playing with what is it, Blaine Gabbert behind you right now, that's yep. that's what you're dealing with. I mean, uh too many teams are hemorrhaging their season by week 10 because they have tried to nickel and dime their backup quarterback position and I, I don't think it's a league that can do that anymore. So it would be a phenomenal discovery for Cleveland over the next couple of weeks to find out that Dorian Thompson Robinson is a player and somebody that they have a minimum salaries for the next three and a half seasons. Um, and they can keep him and do what they need and continue to move forward because that's just something that m- not many teams have right now. Minnesota didn't have anything. All right. They completely yep. asked backward themselves into Josh Dobbs and uh, lucky for them, they get to at least keep their season held up for a few more weeks or we'll see how far it can get. But that's my answer. Keep them run out this rookie contract and uh, because it does align properly with Deshaun Watson's guarantees. And it is crazy how much of a small world this uh, the NFL is. You mentioned Josh Dobbs and the way that the Minnesota Vikings back their way into him as their starting quarterback. He looks really good all of a sudden. Well, guess who had Josh Dobbs when the season started this year? The <laughs> Cleveland Browns was on their roster. So to your point, just, hey, you got a good one. Keep him. They moved off of him because they wanted to make room for the guy that they're they're now they're now going to start in Dorian Thompson Robinson. So, yeah, if they're right about this, because Dobbs has looked good. If 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 DTR is better than Dobbs, then good for Cleveland. But most likely they let the better quarterback walk out the door because they wanted a cheaper rookie. Yeah, most likely. Uh, but I, I do think they saw something in the preseason with Dorian Thompson Robinson that made him he was say, really good in the preseason. Yeah, yeah, that makes him say this guy's at least got a chance to be on that Josh Dobbs level. I think what we've learned, though, and I said it on the last pod here is the, the mental aptitude of that dude is just nuts. Um, his ability to just kind of drop and go with any system. Basically, if, if you tell me what to do, I'm going to do it. <laughs> And that is extremely rare for somebody that needs to process, right? Process that much information on a, on a minute to minute basis. So I'm not sure any backup quarterback in the league making his first or second start here is going to be at that level, but you know, it is what it is. And and we're seeing a lot of movement. I'm not going to complain about 
quarterbacks getting traded and moved around because that's part of my job and I love it. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, the uh, uh, it was the photographic memory of Josh Dobbs that has helped him excel. He's the opposite end of this, this spectrum. He's not paid nearly what Deshaun Watson is, yet here he is in a starting position for a team that right now, if you look at the odds, they are expected to make the postseason. What he's done is remarkable. Number two in the league in terms of rushing yards at the quarterback position, that just blows my mind with all the great running quarterbacks that we have in the NFL. Only Lamar Jackson has more rushing yards than Josh Dobbs uh, as a QB. What kind of payday is he setting himself up for? Yeah, I've heard quite a bit a lot, you know, about, you know, will he be a starter in week one next year? Will somebody take him on? And, you know, maybe Atlanta tries to make him their next kind of, I don't know, dime store quarterback, right? Instead of actually doing this properly and putting an actual quarterback around them. I just don't think he's a starter, an 18 week starter. He hasn't shown that he can physically be capable enough to do that. And by the way, the running part of it is terrifying. You know, that's something you, a lot of the other quarterbacks have learned to dial back because they want to stick in this league for 12 years. Um, and Dobbs certainly isn't thinking about that right now. He's trying to make his mark. But uh, I, I just don't think he's a bona fide starting quarterback. Maybe somebody takes a flyer for one year, but I've got him basically as the highest paid backup quarterback starting next year. So a $9 million player, let's make it two for 18. I, I would love Minnesota to keep him, right? If, if he's already shown that he's capable of t- picking up this offense on the fly, what would happen with an entire offseason, an entire training camp, and he and Kirk Cousins working in unison with that offense as a, as a one-two punch to rehab Cousins back to health and to give Dobbs a really nice payday to hold a clipboard for a couple of years? I, I think that works for me. But again, I'm just spitballing. There's always one team out there that has to go crazy with, at this position and realizes they have nothing come May. Absolutely. And and for that reason, and we don't see a lot of star quarterbacks hit the open market, would Josh Dobbs be the hottest quarterback commodity come free agency? You know, that's the problem, right? I mean, you got Jameis, you got Tannehill. Cousins is probably going to hit free agency before he, re- he resigns in Minnesota. Garoppolo's man, could that stock be any lower? I, I'd rather have Dobbs. Yeah, I, I think most teams would say that right now. Baker Mayfield might be on Dobbs level. I think that's yeah. probably fair to say. But no, it's not going to be a big market, you know. And outside of a massive release that I'm not thinking about right now, which I don't think is coming, everybody else seems pretty comfortable right now. Uh, Dobbs, Dobbs is going to be in the top two free agent conversations. So uh, that's why in this piece I have on spot track recently, I'm not even allowing him to get there. If I'm Minnesota, I'm locking up cousins and Dobbs to a bit of an overpay just to keep this position you know, in house because the rest of that roster is at least acceptable for that division and the way it looks right now. So I don't, I don't want to move too far away from the young quarterbacks that are getting opportunities before asking you this question, because I saw the, I saw this as part of uh, the pregame shows uh, rundown across the NFL this past week. And we're going to have a new rookie quarterback that makes a debut in Dorian Thompson Robinson this week. I think he makes it 11 rookie quarterbacks that have started a game in the NFL this year. Is that just an outlier sort of oddity or is that part of the new plan and structuring your team? Got to have a rookie just in terms of like pay scale and things of that nature. Mm, yeah, that's an, it's an interesting way to look at it, right? Because it, it's not just that these are young kids starting a game because of an injury. And that's the surface discussion here. That discussion is why are these rookie contracts the, the, the second quarterbacks on rosters, right? 
Uh, the, the Colt McCoys, the Chase Daniels, those players are gone, right? They're out of the league now, whether by choice or by just how it worked out. It's probably a little bit of what you're saying, which is teams are willing to throw that four-year rookie contract if it's a third to fifth round pick and, and run with it, which is as good a value as can have. Those players are making $800,000 this year, whereas even if you're signing Colt McCoy to a minimum contract, it's almost $1.5 million. So in, in essence, it's cost-effective. But yeah. also, you know, what if there's a chance that your Dak Prescott or your Kirk Cousins in the middle round is out there and you end up locating him on in your practice squad for a couple of years? So I, I, it's probably a little bit of both. Everybody's trying to hit lightning in a bottle. Um, the problem is, you know, these guys have zero NFL experience, essentially, outside of, you know, bogus preseason games, kind of like DTR will have tonight. And generally, that doesn't go well for a team. And if you're Cleveland or Kansas City or one of these contenders and you have to sacrifice three weeks in the middle of the season because you didn't put an experienced quarterback behind your superstar, it's really playing with fire. So I don't believe in this process. I believe that rookie quarterbacks should be on the practice squad and things like that and that you should have a bona fide quarterback too. But we'll see. Uh, I mean, if this is an option that works out for teams, they're not going to go off it because it's cost effective. Right. I think part of it is definitely the copycat format of the NFL. The fact that Brock Purdy had the success that he had as a late round rookie, because it's not just rookies that are drafted in the first round. We're seeing guys that are that are undrafted rookies. Tommy DeVito, baby. Yeah, Tommy DeVito. Clayton Toon is getting an opportunity. Late draft pick. Um, I think tanking has something to do with it. So uh, I don't think we should leave that off the table as well. <laughs> a lot of the teams that have done this are perfectly okay with losing games with rookie quarterbacks. Yeah, there's a reason Arizona traded Josh Jobs, right? They saw how good he possibly could be. And they're like, hey, right. you know what? Clayton Toon's probably a better option for us. <laughs> okay, that's a picture-perfect transition yeah. to the next guy I wanted to talk about. Kyler Murray looked pretty sharp in his return to action for the Arizona Cardinals. You were of the belief, and we talked about this previously, that Arizona was not not going to be in the business of drafting a quarterback anyway. So does this just further solidify your belief that uh, they'll be in the stock up the pantry mode rather than um, move off of Kyler Murray? Yeah, it's just not the right time. Um, it's year two of this extension. Really, you're one if you think about where it started. So, you know, we could talk about how there's four years guaranteed left in this thing. There is. It's a massive deal. That's not going to stop Arizona from eventually getting out of this contract, right? The the, the name I, I keep thinking about with this whole situation is Carson Wentz. Um, not that there's a Nick Foles ready to take this team to the Super Bowl on this roster. That's not going to happen. But Kyler's going to get his chance to come back and show that he can be an upper echelon quarterback. And, you know, he has to get the postseason taste out of her mouth. That's really what this all stems from, which is that ridiculous you know, last couple of sequences that we saw him play a postseason football. And once that's gone, once this team can resurrect themselves with proper drafting, instead of wasting a a draft pick on a quarterback, I I think this team can be something in a division that seems to be kind of floundering, right? If, if Geno Smith's not the guy, if Matthew Stafford's going to retire, there's a lot of unknown out West right now that Arizona could draft well and kind of Houston Texans, this thing back into a really nice spot with Kyler Murray as their guy. So I, I'm I'm not going to overreact to much. Um, he's a he's a very very above average quarterback when he wants to be, uh, but man, I got to say this: 
the fact that he came back on like the day that the new Call of Duty came out is just the most perfect thing. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a, a hot take, bring that kind of stuff in kind of guy, but that is just beautiful. That's just beautiful timing. Yeah, you, you, you really can't script it any better. So it, some, sometimes when things like this happen, I do wonder if the NFL is scripted. I know that the rumors out there. <laughs> Let's get to our quick, quick hits to wrap up today's episode. Draymond Green of the Golden State Warriors suspended five games. He put Rudy Gobert in a headlock. That was my favorite headline of the day yesterday. Uh, only Draymond Green delivers that. A bunch of fines handed out by the NBA as well for the other guys involved in this. So wh- what are we looking at in terms of lost wages? And then Draymond Green really headlines this story because he's a repeat offender here. Yeah. So it looks like uh, his five-game suspension is going to cost him about $770,000. Uh, which is a flash in the pan because he signed a four-year, $100 million extension this offseason, which is a whole different discussion, in my opinion. But there's a, there's a lot to this. You know, This is not a five-game suspension that any other player in the league would have gotten, right? This is because of the multiple violations, and there's plenty of videos being tossed around with all the violations that Draymond's had really in the past five or six years. It's really kind of piling up here. But if we just talk about Draymond specifically... If we bring this whole thing together, right, all the technical fouls, all the suspensions, all the fines, everything, it's about two and a half million dollars lost. Again, flash in the pan for a player who's made, let me look, $178 million in his career as a role player, essentially. But it's just another, uh, you know, it's another, you know, line to draw in his sand. And we have to continue moving forward, unfortunately. This plus that Steph Curry injury is really going to decimate the Warriors for a while here. It's going to be a, a bit of a rough patch, I think, for Golden State in a West that's weird. Have, did you happen to see the stat that's going around after yesterday where Draymond Green has been suspe- has been ejected from games, I believe, 11 times total in his career? Seven of them are when Steph Curry doesn't play. So I did the- see that. The I did thought see is, is that Draymond sees Steph's not playing and quickly figures out how to get himself out of a game. <laughs> or he just ramps up and decides, I'm going to be the guy tonight. And that is not a good look for Draymond Green, right? <laughs> when he tries to step into an alpha role, all of yeah. his alpha comes out, unfortunately. Right, so yeah. it's weird. It's pretty weird. That's a that's a ni- much nicer way to put it. Uh, thoughts on the in-season tournament. Uh, I, I'm, I've been talking to some of the guys on the Magic, just asking them how important it is to them here on a local level. They seem to be all in. That, that seems like the perfect kind of NBA team uh, to care about something like this. You want to win something and you know yeah. that a title isn't in your future. But I, I don't know. I, I know I saw this when it first came out, but um, I, when you hear it come out of a player's mouth and, and, I, and I hear the sort of excitement of $500,000 per player. Yeah, I'm going to try. Like, <laughs> duh, why are you even asking me this? Is I guess that uh, I'm sort of answering my own question, but is that incentive enough for players to care about this thing? I've been asked this a lot uh, on different various radio hits in the past couple of weeks, right? Because these players literally are making $60 million a year in some cases. I think the average salary is like $16 million right now for any veteran player out there. So what does $500,000 mean to these players? We, we still forget how much $500,000 is. And somebody like me who puts these goggles on and has to deal with millions and millions every day, I, it's still a hell of a lot of money, right? And it's yeah. still a hell of a lot of money for not a lot of work. <laughs> this is, this is like really like this a, anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a couple of games every week for a few months in 
the part of the season where generally these guys don't aren't able to self motivate themselves too much, right? Except for the Orlando's and the OKC's and those teams, Houston's that are really trying to build something that they haven't had before. But for the teams that t- took long postseason runs, like Denver and and Golden State and the Lakers last year, it's hard to get yourself into November mode. So at least there's something here, some sort of tournament style. You know, you can say what you want about the courts and and, and the designs and all that. <clears throat> I, I just think it's smart from a mentality standpoint. I think that's what you're saying with the players is they're just sort of checking themselves into, into caring right now. And yes, there's $500,000 on the line and that seems like nothing, but it's something, but it's yeah. just motivation. It's just a reason on a Friday night to actually care about November basketball, not only as a player, but as a fan, even a little bit. And I think Adam Silver wants just that little bit because then he can sell more ads in November than he, than he did last year. It seems like it's working. I would compare it to this. Like I get excited when I have $20 on a game and then I win. Then that's, you know, I'm not going to lay out my bank account information here, but I have more than $20 yet. $20 in that (laughs) moment. (laughs) Humble brag. You know, I'm not trying to probably turned off a bunch of listeners. This guy's not relatable. He's got more than 20 bucks in his bank account. Oh, man. All right. Not going to get any better than that, but we'll press on. Um, I'm seeing rumors out there, speaking of the NBA, that the Bulls are receiving real offers for uh, Zach Levine. What kind of do you buy that? Do you think that that he will be dealt before the deadline? It seems like everybody on that roster at the top end would be a candidate here. Yeah, the Bulls were weird coming into the season. They're even weirder now. It's not just because they're not winning games. The DeMar DeRozan stuff's getting a little weird. Uh, there's names. There's names all over this roster that I think other teams want to at least take a flyer on. Uh, you know, Levine's contract has term. There's there's three years. One of them's a player option plus the rest of the season. So that's not going to be a cheap move, even though, you know, he hasn't been an, an, an alpha number one option for quite some time now, you know, there's a lot of teams that want 22 points a year. Let's put it that way. Uh, so I do think, yes, he's, he's moved. To me, it's not about if Levine has moved. It's how much of this Bulls roster has moved to the deadline because it could be a complete fire sale. And I think it's a long time coming. Yeah. And what do you get in return? That's, um, you know, it really depends. Are you kidding? I, this is the NBA. It's just a, it's just an all over the place situation, right? Right. No, but there isn't. You're exactly right. And that's why I'm so curious to know. And what the difference of those three guys at the top would be. What do you get for Nick Vucevic? What do you get for DeMar DeRozan and, and Zach Levine? Yeah, I, I I think whatever you guess would probably I don't know. be is, wrong. Is Drew Holiday's deal maybe kind of comparable? What was it? Two firsts and two players. That seems probably right for a player mm. of, of Levine's earth. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe you got to toss a couple of seconds in there, which aren't nothing anymore. But that seems to be about right. I don't think Levine is superstar blockbuster trade worthy. But again, if there's six teams out there, then it's going to get to that point. So, I, you know, I, I would think three firsts is reserved right now for those 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 really top top tier players but um especially in the middle of a season i don't think i would expect something to that degree jimbo fisher receiving north of 75 million dollars to not coach again at texas a&m will we ever see the end of outrageous buyout dollars in college football or is that just pie in the sky thinking yeah, the fully guaranteed stuff's weird, isn't it? I mean, it's what is it? How many good coaches are there out there that that this has to be a thing? It's kind of this the is all about PR. And I yeah. think that if I yeah. if I if I can fifteen second soapbox for a second on this, part of the issue that I have with colleges doing this is that they ask. It, this isn't like 
an NFL situation where you're bringing revenue in, there's a revenue share, you spend what you want uh, and and build out a roster that the as best of your ability based on the money that you're bringing in as a business. These colleges have student tuitions that they might be using to pay for this stuff. They right. have don't yeah, exactly. But nobody admits that. They have donors, they ask for money from their alumni base, people that have built up real wealth that for whatever reason they feel like the best way to spend their dollars is to throw it back into the college that they already spent a ton to get their degree from. And then and then these colleges waste that money away by asking coaches to leave and then need to spend more money to get the new coach in. And that coach better be paid what the last guy was. Uh, was. Otherwise, you're not keeping up with the Joneses. It's right. so frustrating to Quick. see and it's such a waste of money. I'll respond to that. And then I have one question for you. I, I think those boosters that you're referencing are so damn rich that they're not even thinking about the money they spent. They are the ones asking for Jimbo Fisher to be fired. They just don't want their brand and essentially their money to be stuck in a, what is it? Six and three, right? In a six and three season in the SEC. So yeah. I actually think the pressure is coming from them to fire these guys, which is crazy because it's their money, essentially. Here's the question I want well, to throw to you. they're wasting their money, and I really hope that it's only coming from that because otherwise yeah. I think we have a much I agree. bigger problem. But I agree. Ahead. You follow this stuff a lot. I know you're kind of in a college hotbed down there. Is the transfer portal going to devalue this a little bit? Are, are, is it going to devalue coaches? Because I think it has in college basketball already, right? We've seen the, the high-profile, high-paid coaches really start to weed themselves out of that entire system. Is this going to be the case in football? Because, because is it, isn't it less about who's running that show, right? Especially when it comes to recruiting, initial recruiting, and more about just the window of that year, right? If UCLA has a year where, hey, man, we got a hell of an offensive line right now, and we got two cornerbacks who can stop anybody's passing game. This is our window. Let's go find a quarterback. Let's go find a running back. It doesn't matter who's coaching this system. We're going to win because we have the pieces right now. And by the way, it's totally legal to do that, essentially, right? If they can read the room in April, they can put together a super team by August. So yeah. I wonder I wonder if that's not going to devalue the actual guy running the show and really impact the scouts and, and the players and the PR people who do the work in the transfer portal, or am I completely backwards and it actually, <laughs> and no, it actually they're, makes they're, those uh, people more valuable? <laughs> I think that, I think that last part, uh, uh, the coaches in college football specifically, I do think basketball is different because you just, you field less players. So the players get more of the credit and it works a little bit. It, it, the college basketball in that sense in terms of what what does it take to be successful? I think the mentality is shifting to what we view the NBA to be. Nice if you have a good coach, but really you better have good players. Otherwise, you have no shot. Mm -hmm. And if you have the right players, then really anybody could be the coach. In college football, it's all about the head coach. And until we see somebody not named Kirby Smart and Nick Saban rattling off championships, like if the Ed Orgerons of the world, we just had different versions of him winning every year, I think you'd be right about that. But yeah. Coaches get so much credit and so much love. And, and in some ways, in terms of bringing in and retaining top talent, they deserve it. Part of the game now isn't just mopping up the transfer portal and getting great recruits. It's not letting the guys you have walk out the door and convincing them that they're in the right spot and also making sure they get paid by those wealthy boosters who are wasting their money. Yeah, and scheduling is so big as well, right? It's yeah. all about who you play and where you play if you're on TV. All right, I'm going to save the Otani stuff for next week. 
Like, uh, we you don't think it. he's going to sign by then? What if he signs by then, Brandon? Okay, let me ask the question then. No, G- he's not going to sign. I, <laughs> G- I, I did see where geography is not the the, the, the story out yeah. there was that geography isn't going to determine where he plays. I assume that you're not necessarily buying that. This is just agent speak to keep everybody involved. You want the Mets and the Yankees and the Braves to be involved in this negotiation, not just the teams out on the West Coast. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're bringing everybody into the house right now because it's everybody's game to lose. Um, I will throw one team out. I don't I don't think I said this team to you on our Tuesday show, Brandon. I there's a world where the Chicago Cubs try to Texas Rangers this thing this year and just spend an ungodly amount of money on a pitcher, on bringing back Bellinger, and on going after Otani as hard as possible. We could could be an upwards of eight hundred million dollar total boost to a, a roster that also has a ton of prospects ready to come up as well. So that could be a team that could pull geography out of the equation for Otani if the price is right. I don't think the Mets of the Yankees are willing to go bonkersville for this guy. I don't know what the Braves have in mind, but as a Mets fan, that's terrifying. <laughs> and I know Boston is at least limping in, but they just seem like they're muddy balling. And I don't think that Otani is here for that. Okay, can you give me a, a quick power ranking then of how you have it now? This is subject to change based on what you hear, what you think, and all of that. Because um, you've mentioned the Cubs just now. You mentioned the Mariners. That made a lot of sense when we spoke about this before. Uh, I do think the Braves are in the mix. Uh, the Dodgers, of course. So could you give me like four right. or five in order of all your right. confidence level? I'm using my fingers to count like my toddler. Ready? Uh, Dodgers won. <laughs> Mariners two, Rangers three, Cubs four, Braves five. Rangers three, really? Rangers. Don't sit on your hands, man. You got to keep yet. going. You got to push. What a what a way to back up a championship, bringing Shohei right. Otani. Love That's that. Right. That does it for today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast. If you like the content you hear on this channel, please. Follow, rate, review, subscribe. It goes a long way. We certainly appreciate it. SpotTrack.com for all the latest in the contractual and transactional world in sports. Till next time.